Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Bring the Vegas gaming experience to the palm of your hand. Bet your favorite team, try your luck in a casino, or our poker room. The earliest sports lines and the biggest limits online. Lots of deposit options. Bet on live events as they happen. The next play, the next score. Get winnings fast or roll them into a parlay and win even more. Visit Bet Online today and see what millions of customers have experienced for over 20 years. I want to hear cannons. This is Mike Allstock, Tempe Buccaneers, and you're listening to the Cannon Fire Podcast. Cannon Fire Podcast, brother. You ain't listening, and you're missing out. Woo! And they're the cannons, cannons. Fire them. Keep on firing them. Keep on firing them. Hello and welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to a Victory Tuesday edition of the Cannon Fire Podcast. I am your host, as always, Rhett Matthew, joined alongside me, my good buddy and co-host from BucksNation.com, Mr. Evan Wanish. So, uh, 17-16, your final score on Monday Night Football, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers victorious against the New Orleans Saints, not just once, but twice in a season. They've officially swept New Orleans, got the monkey off their back, if you will. I know this year has been uh, all types of disappointing, but if there is one thing that can somewhat make up for it, it is finally conquering this New Orleans team. It took some late game heroics from Tom Brady and the offense. And I'll tell you, as good as this feels, I mean, as great as I feel, I was at the game in person, which is why we didn't have a live show after last night, got home pretty late. Had to go to work this morning on two, three hours of sleep, but it was worth it. It did feel well worth it. But I'll tell you what, uh, some Tom Brady late game heroics really does a good job of forgetting how 95% of that game made me feel because, uh, I mean, you know, for the people who were there in attendance, unfortunately, some of those jump ship chumps were filing their way out of the exits and we stayed until the bitter end. And uh, what, with eight seconds left to go, he finds Rashad White in the end zone. Had to basically win the game twice. We'll talk about that as well. Uh, but the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are 6-6 six and six and have finally swept the New Orleans Saints for the first time since 2007. It has been a decade and a half since the Bucs have done this. Uh, so pretty historic, if you will. Evan, your thoughts on the game overall? Yeah, it was very similar, um, actually, to the one I was at. Very similar to the Rams game, I feel like, where... Just like you said, 90, 95% of the game like didn't play very well, but like the other team didn't play very well either and sort of always left the door open um, for the Bucks. And then at the end, you know, on that final drive, they're able to take advantage of some things. So um, this one obviously is more impressive when you're down 13, you know, with three minutes to go, you're assuming it's a loss, you know, most likely. Um, so we'll get into all of it, obviously, but yeah, really a big win because if you were looking at it, you know, you know, I, I think a lot of people 
sort of late in the, late in the fourth assumed it was going to be a loss. And you were, okay, it's fair to assume that, right? Well, like I said, when you're down like that, the way the offense was playing, it wasn't like the offense was showing much life. You didn't really have much hope that they were going to be able to score against the Saints. So you were thinking, man, you know, they dropped this game and then they got San Francisco and Cincinnati. You know, you could be looking at you know, five and nine or whatever before you know it. Um, so, I mean, I think this win was big just for a confidence standpoint, obviously for a mentality standpoint that, you know, you're six and six now. There's, there's a big difference between six and six and, and five and seven. So I think that's that's a big thing for this team. Yeah. And the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are not a team who has had a positive record since week three of the NFL season uh, when they finished two and one. And I mean, that's the best they have been. Um, That's the best they have been. They have not had a positive record since then. They fell to two and two and then two to three. And uh, it just got worse from there. But we are talking about a victory today. So I want to talk about the good things as well before we really, you know, really, really tear this coaching staff to shreds. Because um, you want to talk about coward ball. There was a hell of a lot of that on display on Monday Night Football. But I'll tell you one of the things that I really did like about this win, especially the game-winning drive, is that it was a little bit of everybody, right? You know, I I know that we credit the defense um, and we credit Tom Brady first and foremost, but Rashad White, game-winning touchdown. Kate Otten, important touchdown to get the Bucs back in this game. Julio Jones, probably the best catch of the year. I know week one, probably a little overrated at this point because it knocked him out of commission for five weeks, but... You know, that was one hell of a catch from Julio Jones. Like, it looked like a vintage Julio catch. And I know that I'm not going to overreact like I did after week one. It's just really cool to see Julio Jones making plays in a Buccaneers uniform. But, you know, Julio got active. Mike Evans, who kind of, you know, had some issues first three quarters. He got involved late in that game, had a couple of contested catches. That was good to see. Uh, Rashad White, I know I already mentioned him as well. Kate Otten playing Chris well. Godwin. Chris Godwin had a one hell of a game. I think finished as the leading receiver. We'll pull up the box score here in a minute. Um, let's talk about the offensive line because they're they're not going to get any credit today, um, at least from people who you know want to gloss over stuff like that. I know they weren't the best, and maybe we can start to talk about this here as we break down the game. You know, I, I, I still don't entirely think Tom Brady trusts this offensive line as much as he did last year. And the reason is simple. Like, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out why. Uh, but I do think Brady does maybe get the yips every now and again. Maybe throw the ball away a little bit too early. We talked about this on the pregame show with uh, with James Hill. But, you know, realistically, I thought Cam Jordan was out there. This Saints defensive front usually always gets to Tom Brady. And if I'm not mistaken, he only went down two or three times last night. And in the grand scheme of things, I didn't think they were too terrible, especially with Josh Wells being your starting right tackle. I thought he played well. Yeah, I think it could have been worse. Um, we've seen it worse, I think, is specifically against this New Orleans team. And uh, yeah, the books did a better job. Brady obviously did a, a better job of getting the ball out quick. Do believe sometimes last night I didn't really think it was that case, uh, but at times during the season, uh, just like we talked about, um, one of the issues with the offense has been Brady kind of getting a little too happy, you know, getting a little too much happy feet uh, in there and getting rid of the ball maybe a second or two earlier than you should, you know, uh, trust your offensive line a little bit more, hold on to that ball for another second, have something else develop. Uh, but I thought last night they, they did a fine job of that. A lot of check down still. Um, 
the guards, the interior line didn't play great. I, I didn't think specifically Nick Leverett got pushed back a couple of times. I don't think he allowed a sack, but there was a few pressures he allowed, uh, which caused some checkdowns. But, you know, it, it's a lot of the, the same issues on offense, which is why, you know, you can be happy about uh, the, the win, but overall, you know, the process still isn't great. And, and we know it's a win and stuff, and we're not here to be all Debbie Downer right now. But, um you know, at the same time, like the offense has to be better if they want to do anything serious, right? Because well, and- if this offense doesn't change, then like, okay, the win's nice, but like it's not going to mean anything in the grand scheme of things. Right. And uh, the general lack of urgency is something we have talked about so far this season a lot because this Bucks team right now, if you had to pinpoint one major issue, I mean, there's a lot. But if you had to pinpoint one that outweighs the others, it's an offense that can't score any points. And that seemed to be an issue again for Tampa Bay. Just like we had talked about, less than five minutes left to go in the game, and the score is 17 to three. You know, it's one of those this things. 16, 16. Where it, 16 to three, excuse me. You, you got to be realistic with yourself and say, do I trust this offense right now to drive the field? Not once, but twice. You yeah. know, and also for your defense to play well enough to get the ball back, which, to be honest, let's give the defense the credit they deserve. They, I mean, they're the only reason the Bucs were in that game. Let's face it. Yeah, I mean, New Orleans offense isn't a juggernaut, um, but yeah, the defense did their job. And specifically when the Bucks scored that touchdown and then, you know, the defense need to get a stop and they need to get a three and out because, you know, one first down by the Saints, the Bucks might have gotten the ball back if the Saints convert a, a first down, but there wouldn't have been much time left and the Bucks wouldn't have had any timeouts. Wow. So that would have been pretty tough. So the defense stood tall. Carl Nassib obviously with a big sack. Keanu Neal with a big time breakup. I thought Neal played really well. He's, um, he's been balling out. And Logan Ryan, his presence, his return was certainly felt as well. I thought the safety position looked much better uh, than we had anticipated coming in this yeah so i think both those guys stepped up and uh, i mean even the the defense uh you know i think the the bucks the saints ended up with the ball it was late i i think might have been the drive before the bucks first touchdown uh where the saints ended up with the ball they only really needed a few yards to get in the field goal range and the bucks still forced from the punt so uh that that was big as well yeah the defense like i said the saints offense isn't anything special, but the defense did their job. And I think the only thing you can seriously complain about still is the lack of turnovers. Um, I, I and thought they're not even really close to, to getting turnovers. That's yeah. the first thing. Like, it's not like their corners are dropping balls or making plays on balls. Like they're not, they're just not even anywhere close to the play. Yeah, like, <laughs> like they're just, they're not really close to getting turnovers. So like they can't even really look in any of them. That's frustrating. But overall, yeah, you're right. Like they, if the defense collapses even one time down the stretch there, uh, the Bucks don't win this game listen i don't want to praise the defense and then immediately criticize them but for this instance that's exactly what i'm going to do i I thought you know my biggest gripe with the defense last night um and maybe you'll agree with me as well i just thought the pass rush was bad you know like the levante david sack early the carl nassib sack later in the game ultimately ended up keeping the bucks in things but it, it did feel like andy dalton you know andy dalton was was 20 for 28 229 yards and a touchdown and yeah it could have been much worse but it just felt like there were so many times where he would drop back to pass and he'd have three, four, five seconds to really look around, go through his progressions, and there wouldn't be a Buccaneer in sight, you know? And, and a couple of times it'd be a situation where, let's say you have an outside linebacker drop back into coverage. I think it may have been Anthony Nelson this one time in particular, but I could be misremembering. But he's dropped back in coverage. You've got a wide receiver running a drag route, 
And then Anthony Nelson sees Andy Dalton with nobody around him. So he says, you know what? Maybe try and maybe try and close the gap between me and this quarterback. Pass goes right up over his head. It's complete for a first down. And it's it's one of those things where like that happens a few times a game and it can be acceptable. You know, you're not going to stop every single offense in the NFL from getting a first down, moving the chains. It's just it is what it is. They held New Orleans to 17 or 16 points. And by the way, this Bucks defense so far up until this point in the season, top five in the league as far as their, uh, you know, their defense is to holding teams to not score points. I I probably could have said that a little bit better, but, you know, points per game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I, I thought the pass rush was a little irritating last night, felt hit or miss. But overall, you know, with the secondary as shorthanded as it was, I mean, those guys balled out. Just got to give them more credit. Yeah, and, and like I said, you know, they don't win. Obviously, um, a two-hour super chat from Mr. Bucks Nation. You already know I'm here. Not sure why you aren't at work, but uh, oh no, he is. He is at work. He's just oh, he's, he's just yeah, wasting he's company time. Yeah, yeah, he's yeah he he's yeah wasting money on company time. Well, it's not wasting money if you're giving it to me. If you're giving it to anything else, you know, then it's wasting money. But happy happy you're here, I guess. Uh, but um. Yeah, I, I thought, like I said, the defense, if they collapse once, like if they allow a touchdown where they allowed a field goal, like the game's over, you know, so they did a lot of the right things. And uh, the Saints got down there a few times. The Saints had to settle for some short field goals. Um, I believe one was a 21 yarder, the other being a 29 yarder. So uh, it wasn't like, you know, the Bucks were really playing, you know, the bend don't break t- style of defense. And, you know, that, that's going to be able to work. And it, similar to the Rams game, you know, very similar. They just, they didn't give up the back breaking play. And I think that's, that's a big deal. Um, you know, Cleveland last week, you know, in that fourth down play, it's a great play by Najoku, but that's a backbreaker. You know, you had a chance just to win the game right there. Um, and th- this time the defense didn't give up that play. So um, I, I thought, you know, with, like I said, without the defense playing the way they do, the Bucks don't have a chance because the offense was besides the first drive of the game. And then the last two drives of the game, the offense was non-existent. There was there was no juice. There was no life. And, and the defense re- really brought it for them. Uh, I've got a lot to say about the first drive of the game. We'll talk about the offense here in a minute. But, yeah, I just wanted to show some more recognition for this defense. I, I think, you know, the general consensus with everyone who watched the game on Monday night and so far this season, it, game after game, week after week, win, lose, or draw, it feels like the defense has been playing well enough to win pretty much every week aside from maybe Kansas City. You know, and it, the only reason mm-hmm. they got behind so quickly in that one was because of special teams' mistakes. So it's like... You got to take the good and the bad, but I think this Buccaneers defense has been better realistically. I don't know if this is a hot take at this point in the season, but I think this Bucs defense as it is right now is probably better than the defense they had on the field in 2020, 2021. Yeah, less explosive, um, but much more effective. Like yeah. just just shutting teams down, neutralizing all pass rush. Pass rush isn't as, but but at yeah. the same time, like they're you know, they don't have Shaq Barrett anymore either. So like, you know, that kind of hurts as well. So you kind of have to be a little bit more fair there, but um, obviously against the run, not as effective, but the run defense has been fine. You know, they got gashed in Cleveland last week, but the run defense did what they had to do against New Orleans. So, and I mean, New Orleans has been a team where a lot of the times the game gets away from the Bucks because New Orleans can control the clock. 
um, and can just waste a lot of time by running it short and having, uh, you know, getting the the second and shorts, the third and shorts, and dumping it off for five, six yards on a pass to get the first down, then do it again on the next series. So um, that's why New Orleans has really been able to take control of a lot of these games. And the Bucks didn't do that. The Bucks forced them into a couple third and longs, and, um, you know, they got some punts on the way. So I thought, like I said, the defense's day was, was really good and you know i'm gonna reiterate again like they don't win if the defense it doesn't play the way they do um especially in in the red zone because like i said the saints had to settle for some field goals where um you know if if it's a touchdown that's probably a game so i i thought yeah the defense had had a very nice day guys like we mentioned keanu neal i thought stepped up carl nassib had a nice day obviously with that sack um but i thought when he had that sack, uh, it was close because he almost had helmet to helmet on Dalton. And I was like, Oh, are they going to throw that? that? Because it was close. Um, and like, you know how they are with roughing the passer calls nowadays. Hey, and listen, I know, I know we talk about officiating before we dive into the offense here. I did want to not necessarily give a shout out, but it did seem like the Bucks played a little bit of a cleaner game. I know they that Donovan, I know that Donovan Smith call at the very end we're going to talk about. But um, I thought what the referees did uh, from the beginning of this game was it, it seems like whenever the Bucks play New Orleans, and maybe the last two years, you know, maybe eventually I'm going to sound crazy for using these as examples. But it seems like in Tampa, especially like when they lost nine to nothing, it was physical football like New Orleans is a physical team. You know, when Marshawn Lattimore, who was out, but usually whatever corner they have lined up against Mike Evans is going to mug him at the line of scrimmage to try and prevent him from making a play. And I think New Orleans is one of those teams that does that more than the average team the Bucks would have on their schedule. And it seemed like right away from the first quarter last night, there were a couple of holding calls, pass interference on New Orleans. And I I think the refs were maybe a little more prepared for that than I thought they would be. Like there were a couple of calls that I was surprised that they made. But at the end of the day, it only helped Tampa Bay because you don't get calls like that very often against a team like New Orleans. They're a very physical team and they get away with that stuff a lot. Yeah, you know, and, and just like you said, and I think we talked about in the pregame show, uh, talked about staying disciplined, right? And the Bucks only had four penalties on the day. The Saints had six. The Bucks had four. So, um, yeah, we talked about staying disciplined. And the penalty, you know, against the Saints on that Mike Evans deep ball helped set up the first touchdown. Like, if that's not a penalty, like – if they that play doesn't happen, do the Bucks even score a touchdown? Like they were so dead at that point. Like, did that give them the life? You know, did that give them the, the juice that they needed? So, um, yeah, I mean, I thought the referees were fine. They didn't like impact the game, you know, like, oh, it was a terrible call. Like, there's a few calls I was like, eh, like the Donovan Smith call, the hold at the end, like that's the right call. Uh, yeah. Um, I mean, he like, was tackling. He was tackling, he, he dude. Got, <laughs> he got he got called for a hold earlier in the game, which I didn't agree with. Um, I didn't think it was a hold. But that one, that one, you know, that was the right call. But um, and we'll get into Donovan Smith. So I still think they were quiet for a while, but now you know he's had two bad games, and everybody wants to say he's the worst left. Oh well, of course. Well, uh, oh buddy, yeah, Um, buddy, buddy, yeah. But um, yeah, so I mean, yeah, the the rest were fine, and the Bucks, like you know, most importantly, they stayed disciplined. They stayed. They didn't let the emotions get the best of them in this game against the Saints. That happens quite a bit. So I, I think that was that was a good sign. Yeah. Check on the live chat really quick. Our buddy Pat McGroin checking in. Rock eight one three. Adam Coat. 
course, Mr. Bucks Nation with the $2 Super Chat, Edwin Hernandez, Frank G, Big Juicy, Will the Brewer, Brian Shaw, Joel Elrican. Really appreciate you guys hanging out with us. Slim Stank also here. Happy Monday, boys. Uh, Brian Shaw says the Bucks defense is going to need to force Mr. Irrelevant into multiple turnovers versus the 49ers. And if they can do that, Bucks can win. We'll talk about that on the game preview show later this week. Um, Joel says, well, hello, Rhett and Evan. Go Bucks, Go Bucks, my friend. Adam says, Kamara barely had any yards. Absolutely credit the defense. I, I thought, you know, New Orleans offense has not been a juggernaut, but Alvin Kamara, he's one of those guys where if he can get the ball in his hands, he's going to make a play. And he wasn't making too many of those on Monday night. An ugly win is still a win. F the Saints, says our buddy Will Brewer. All right. Also, the thing about it, and one more thing about the defense before we completely move on to the offense, like Chris Olave played, and you wouldn't really even realize it. Well, um, Chris he, Olave he been- had, Chris Olave has been very good for the Saints this year, and the Bucks were, I mean, able to neutralize him pretty well. I mean, I'm, I'm I, he did have that it. one. He, he did have that one drop. And, yeah, and that, he, that bailed us the hell out. Like I mean, that, he, had, that was... he had four. He had four catches for sixty-five yards. Like Olave's been doing. Like he wasn't even the Saints' leading receiver. It was that Shahid guy. Yeah. Um. And and he only had he had the one long play, the forty-yarder. Mm-hmm. Um. And then he had you know he had four catches for seventy-five yards, but one of them was forty yards. So that's three catches for thirty-five yards if you take that away. So I, I thought you know. The Bucks secondary, a depleted secondary, did a, a pretty nice job. Let's talk about the offensive side of the ball. We'll start things off with the man of the hour, the quarterback, TB12, Tom Brady, whatever you want to call him at this point. The GOAT, his stat line looks like this. 36 for 54, 281 yards, two touchdowns, and an interception. Thought he was going to have two picks on the game for the first time this year, but luckily that was overturned. It did not end up happening but what did you think of Brady's performance? I know the first three quarters didn't look awesome, but uh, you know we saw TB12 do TB12 things at the end of this game. And as much as I hate to sound like a Brady fanboy here, that's all I needed to see to realize he still got some juice. Uh, we know who he is, right? We, if you've been watching close enough, like you know, you know he still has it. Like that's not, it's not lost. Um, up until the fourth quarter, though, I I thought this was his worst game of the year. Uh, I didn't think he was very good. Um, there was the there inter- was a not to interrupt you, but there was a guy in front of me. Third quarter, and it was actually right after the interception. A guy in front of me. I watched him on his phone, text his friend, and say, "Yep, he's done. We're wa- <laughs> we're watching it happen in real time. We're watching the collapse of Tom Brady in person right now." And uh, I man, I was so bummed for the next few minutes. I didn't know what to think or how to process. Um, you know, all things end up coming out in the wash, but. You could tell how a lot of people felt last night through uh, a whole lot of this game. Yeah, so I mean, the interception he had—I'm not sure. I just don't think he saw Demario Davis. Like, it, it's a mistake. Like, you know, yeah, it's just a bad like, throw. Like, yeah, yeah, it you know, but I, I don't know. Uh, that can't happen there. Right before halftime, you let the Saints get some points before half. Um, Would have been a seven-three ball game, or maybe even seven-six, ten-seven. Who knows? You were almost at midfield there before halftime, so um, yeah, missed a few deep balls. The Miller one was a little bit underthrown. I thought it might have been pass interference, but it was still underthrown. Uh, the Julio one, I saw a lot of people complaining. They're like, "Oh, you had Mike Evans open. He threw the Julio Jones." Julio Jones is open too. It's not like Julio Jones was completely covered and he threw it to a, a, a covered Julio Jones with an open Mike Evans there. 
Julio was open, it just Brady just missed him. So I didn't think he was that great up until, you know, honestly, I mean, I say the fourth quarter, but until the final two drives of the fourth quarter. And, and he, he did what he needed to do. He was, you know, was he spectacular? No, but when he needed to be, he was. And and that's all that matters. And that's what you've seen a lot of the time with him. And again, this was almost an exact replica of the Rams game. I mean, literally almost an exact replica of the Rams game. So, uh, you know, he played very well, pretty much the same. I mean, besides the one turnover, uh, he played a very similar game to that. So uh, when it mattered, he, he stepped up and, you know, they're able to get the win. So was it perfect? No, I, I didn't think, like I said, didn't think he was very good. And I was going to come on here and say, you know, before this, I thought the Baltimore game was probably his worst. This one. I thought was worse than that, but you know, when, when you come away with, with a win on the two drives and make some of the throws that you did, uh, it definitely helped. So he was able to bounce back and that's, that's all that matters. Let me ask you a question. And, and honestly, at this point, it's just kind of for shits and giggles. Um, there's a narrative about Tom Brady. There are multiple narratives about Tom Brady. There's always been a ton, but one of the narratives is that, yeah, he's legitimately lost a step. He is cooked. He is not what he was last year and the year before. So let me ask you a question. You just talked about the Baltimore game maybe being his worst game. Then you talked about last night. The win changes it a little bit, but for the most part, it was still not his best game. Um, I mean, maybe he is just a victim of this offense and Byron left, which is play calling, which we'll get to here in a minute. But have you noticed a trend of, of seeing more bad games than usual, or am I just overthinking it? And that's just because he's in a bad offense right now. Uh, I think it looks worse because he's in a bad offense. Um, he also threw the ball 54 times, which yeah. is never ideal. Yeah. Um, you know, it's uh, has he been as good as he was in 2020 and 2021? No, I think 2021 was his best. You know, the, the second year was his best, but um, he he's, hasn't been as good. That that is That is a fact. Has he been bad, though? No, I don't think he's been bad. Uh, he has had some subpar games. I think you can, I'm not going to sit here and dissect every single, uh, you know, every, every single matchup here this year, but you know, the, the facts are the facts. I mean, he hasn't had the same offensive line, the offensive line. And I talk, I think I talked about this uh, on the, the previous on the pregame well, that he like the offensive line is getting way too much hate. Like people think it's like the worst offensive line in the league. Go look Go watch some other. I mean, go watch that. Cincinnati, who just yeah, dumped mean, how much money into their offensive line, taking yeah, away their Alex offensive Kappa. line has has improved though. They're they're getting hot at the. I moment. mean, it's improved, but Joe Burrow is still getting his ass kicked. Um, but like, go watch some of these other offensive lines, and you tell me if Tampa's is the worst. Like, uh, has it been as good? No, like obviously, it's not going to be as good. Like that shouldn't have been an expectation. And especially on Monday night when you're, I mean, the only starter from last year that was active on Monday night was Donovan Smith. That's it. So, like, I think the the expectations for the offensive line before the season, especially once Jensen went down, were a little too high, I, I think, which is weird because a lot of people were worried about that before the season. And now they're like, oh, the offensive line sucks. Yeah, well, you, okay, if you expected it, why are you so concerned about it? You don't know um, what you got till it's gone, buddy. I mean, they, yeah, wrote, I mean, they wrote songs about that. Yeah, they did. They did a very famous song. Mm -hmm. um, so I, we could turn this into karaoke if we wanted. Um, <laughs> oh, but, you should you should have had a hot mic going before the show. We were I jamming, know, dude. Was, man, man, oh man! <laughs> Shout out Applebee's. Um, not a sponsor, but good commercials. Um, yeah, but uh, you know, has he had as 
as great a year. No, he hasn't. But at the same time, the offensive line being shuffled, uh, Julio Jones being in and out of the lineup, Chris Godwin still trying to recover from a major injury, Russell Gage being in and out of the lineup, trying to work in two rookies, uh, Rashad White and Kate Otten, not having Gronkowski. Like, there's a lot of things. Um, and also, you know, we haven't really talked about it much. We're not going to talk about it much, but – it was all field stuff. You know, it's, it's, it's something that's, that's going to be there, you know, no matter how much you don't want it to be a distraction, it's going to be, um, it's just, it's just natural. It's, it's human, you know, it's human nature. So I, I don't think he's been as good. However, I, I certainly don't think he's bad. And without him, they're probably like a three or two win team right now. So, uh, yeah, I, I think he's, he's done his job. And I think with a healthier offensive line, healthier weapons for a whole season uh i think you would you would see a better version of tom brady and the play calling also hasn't helped like yeah. a lot of the play calling is still too conservative um and i think that you know that hasn't helped but um at the same time players got to execute and at times brady has not executed as well as he has in the past yeah and and he's been accountable about that that's the thing too that i i, I want to kind of footnote on this his press conference last night, you know, he admitted that he wasn't playing as well as he needed to. He made some mistakes early, had some bad throws. Like that's that's how you take accountability. And he put the team first. That that's what's most important at the end of the day. And I think most of the locker room knows that. Hopefully with Tom Brady back at six and six with this Tampa Bay roster, maybe he can light a fire under somebody's ass and they can, you know, go look like the team we know and love against San Francisco next week, but uh we just have to wait and see. Now Let's talk about the run game for the Bucs before we talk about the play calling. Only 19 run plays for the Bucs on Monday Night Football. It certainly didn't feel like it, but they did kind of abandon the run at the end of the third and fourth quarter. Leonard well, Fournette. To be, to be fair, to be fair, they're down most of that. Yeah, they're, they're down, down two down possessions. We'll talk about that here in a second. But Leonard Fournette made his return. Big number seven out there. Ten carries for 49 yards, averaging 4.9 yards a tote. It's one of those things where, like, he ran the ball better than I thought he did. You know, like it really is one of those things where if you have a running back who finishes the day anywhere from three and a half to five yards per carry, like that's one hell of a productive get, uh, one hell of a productive day. And with only 10 carries, 49 yards, I mean, if you give him 10 more carries, probably breaking 100, maybe. Bucks weren't in a situation to give him 10 more carries, but I thought he played well. And of course, Rashad White, the other running back back there, nine carries and 28 yards. Now, both of those guys, Rashad White caught the ball six times for 41 yards and the game-winning touchdown. Leonard Fournette caught the ball six times for 32 yards. I know we talked about Leonard Fournette, just put him over running the ball, but Rashad White is going to be so goddamn good at football, dude. Uh, yeah, I, I think he could be. Um, need to see a little bit more consistency, you know, running the actual ball. Uh, I think he could be a really, like, perfect third down back, though. Um and, he, and he's proved that in the receiving game for sure. Uh, it was sort of, you know, more like a 60-40 split. Uh, Fournette had most of the carries or most of the snaps, I should say. So going forward, I would probably like to see that um, because, like, at the same time, like, I know money shouldn't dictate playing time, but you did just pay Leonard Fournette. So, like, he should be playing more than Rashad White. Uh, even though they, the situation that he, should, he should be playing in, that's something that can change. But as far as, like, actual snaps go, um, I, I do think he should be playing a bit more than Rashad White. So, um, yeah, you know, it's good to see. And the Bucks rookies these past few weeks have really stepped up. Rashad White, Kate Otten, obviously, 
the two touchdown catches, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the last the last three touchdown catches by a by a Buccaneer have been by a Buccaneer rookie. Co'Keefe the last week in Cleveland, Kate Otten or Shaw White last night. So um and then you look at the one you know, in versus LA, Kate Otten catches the game winning touchdown as well. So um yeah, I, I think the the rookie class is finally starting to, to step up and it's it's important, I think, for the offense. And the offense has looked better at times, and I think it's when they involve guys like Kate Otten and Rashad White. So it's up to the coaching staff to you know to work them in a bit more. I mean, Cameron Bray, you know. He's a longtime buck or whatever, you know, like I'll appreciate him. But right now the best option for this team is Kate Otten. Like and, it's not Cameron Bray. It's just, it's simple. And he didn't play last night. He had an illness. Um, but like Kate Otten right now is a better option for this offense than Cameron Bray is. So it's just, it's, it sucks, but you know, Bray's getting older. He never was an athletic guy to begin with. And he's lost a little bit of juice. So, I mean, at this point, like you got to roll with Otten. Let's talk about the other receiving leaders before we talk about the play calling here. I want to get all the good out of the way before we piss everybody off to wrap up the show. Uh, so Chris Godwin, your leading receiver, eight catches and 63 yards on the uh, on the evening. Mike Evans, four catches for 59. Rashad White, six catches, 41. Lenny had six for 32. Kate Otten, six catches for 28. Julio Jones, three catches for 28. Former Atlanta Falcon, three catches, 28 yards from one Tom Brady. Uh, just an interesting note there for no particular reason. Number 41, Coquiefed, one catch for 12 yards. Russell Gage had a catch as well for 11 yards. And Scotty Miller had a clutch first down reception for seven yards. All right. Let's get to the moment that we have all been waiting for. We will keep the conversation on the offense because I, I want to talk about the first drive of the game uh, for Tampa Bay. So I, I got to tell you, I loved 90% of that drive. I, I did. Um, well, realistically, you, you should. They went down yeah. to the five yard line. Yeah. Got all the way down to the red zone, took about eight minutes off of the clock. Like, literally, New Orleans did not get the ball until halfway through, more than halfway through the first quarter of that ball game. They were converting short yardage. You know, it was it was short, quick passing. The run game was complimentary. We saw some play action. You know, it wasn't perfect, but they got the hell down the field. And then uh, here's what we saw. And this is where this is where uh, this is where I drew the line. This is where I had decided that I have seen enough. So we get down scoring position. Bucks are in the red zone for the first time today. What do we see? We see an inside handoff. We see a screen pass. And then we see another pass to a running back behind the line of scrimmage. Why the fuck can Byron Leftwich not drop some plays? that allow Tom Brady to target the end zone. I cannot remember the last time I saw Tom Brady actually throw the ball towards the end zone. Am I losing my mind? Like, yeah, fourth quarter, fourth quarter. I know, I know, I know. But this is a game that very well could have started at least 10 to nothing, 10 to three bucks in favor. You know, it's, it's one of those things where like, this is an offense that can't score any points. And we're seeing week in and week out why they can't score any points because this red zone play calling is atrocious and it's not getting any better. They're not making any adjustments. They aren't changing anything. Like we saw the same sequence of plays last week against Cleveland. Now, granted, they were all the way down at the other end of the field. Wasn't like they were in scoring position. But if you want to take 20 seconds off of the clock and get the hell off of the field in the fastest third and out we've ever seen, then go ahead and run it up the gut and throw two screen passes back to back. I don't know why the fuck they keep doing that, Evan. So here's the thing. Um, 
Yeah, 16 play drive that is uh takes off at eight minutes and thirty-five seconds, seventy-two yards. That should never end in a field goal. Um it just it really shouldn't end in a field goal. But however, this is where I, I don't agree with the play calling, right? However, I this is where execution comes into play as well. Julio on the Chris Godwin screen. If Julio Jones blocks the right guy, Chris Godwin's in for a touchdown. Um, if they showed it on the broadcast and Troy Aikman and Joe Buck both both pointed that out. Like Julio Jones kind of ran into Chris Godwin, where if he would have gotten his yeah. man on the outside, Chris Godwin would have walked in for a touchdown. Yeah, we were um, watching that one so, live too. I remember so, they ran into each other and everybody on our section went, Oh <laughs> yeah. So, you know, that's a, that's a touchdown. So that's execution. Not a great play call. It's it's certainly not. And I, I agree with 95, 99% of what you said. Um, but, you know, it's execution, I think, matters a little bit there. Leonard Fournette. And this is where I talk about how Leonard Fournette should be out snapping Rashad White, but the situations Leonard Fournette should be in should be different. That should have been Rashad White if you're going to do that type of play. Yeah. Um, you know, if you're going to, I, I, and I actually thought that Fournette should have broke that tackle too. Uh, but like Rashad White's better than that. So I think that's a situation where Rashad White should be in. I think the play calls suck there. Sure. And I've been cr- very critical. I, I think, you know, I've been more critical of the coaching staff than I think you have to this point. Um, but, you know, I, I agree that the play calling in the red zone has been an issue. And that's why it's just, you know, that's why they, they, they suck in the red zone. Yes. You know, not having Rob Gronkowski hurts, um, not having a completely healthy offensive line hurts. But at the same time, like you have Mike Evans, you have Julio Jones and two guys that could win you a 50, 50 ball. Um, and you don't throw any, any, anything to, have that right like have mike evans box out a dude like he's six five like have him box out a dude just like basketball you know have him box out a dude just go get the ball um so i I thought that you know the play calling wasn't great however the execution also wasn't there so it was kind of a worst of both worlds there for for the bucks on that drive right And, and we've talked all year long about how this buccaneers team has just been a special cocktail of suck like it, it's not one particular thing it's that's over mixes. that's overpowering <laughs> the rest of the mix. You know, you it's can usually you can usually throw something at the wall and it'll stick. But it, it's one of those things, too, that the biggest thing I worry about with this coaching staff, and I think this has already been on display for a while. You know, I was going to cut you off and I was going to tell you that the red zone play calling has sucked all year. This isn't a new oh, development. Yeah. You know, oh, it yeah. was it wasn't like they were scoring points first four weeks of the season and they just forgot how they have always sucked. And there hasn't been any adjustments and complacency is the biggest thing that kills me about this coaching staff with not just Byron Leftwich, with Todd Bowles as well. Um, a good point that I, I, I saw made is that this coaching staff so far this year, every good decision they have made for the better of the team is because they were forced to do it. They were forced to make a change at left guard because Luke Gedeke got hurt. I mean, if he didn't get hurt, who's to say he wouldn't have been out there last night stinking it up, right? I mean, he's ready to go. He was active last night, could have gone in the game had he had to, but uh, his time will come, I guess. But they were forced into making a change at running back. Leonard Fournette goes down. All of a sudden, we find out just how great Rashad White is, right? Because Lenny was not getting it done offensively for this team. The run game, it just it hasn't been working. And yes, Lenny ran the ball a little bit, letter, uh, a little bit better last night, but... In the grand scheme of things, for a Bucks team who has tried to run the ball this year, they're still one of the worst teams in history at doing so. Um, they have been forced to throw the ball. I mean, let's face it. The last five minutes of the game last night, obviously you're playing from behind, but 
How many of those plays do you think Byron Leftwich called on Tom Brady's two-minute drill, final drive of the game? Like, how much yeah. of that is Brady just taking control and running a no-huddle offense? Because when the Bucks run no-huddle, Tom Brady is one of the best statistical quarterbacks in the NFL this year, the year before, the year before that. I mean, it doesn't feel like they're making any sort of honest attempt at at putting these guys in better positions to go out there and make plays. No, I, I, I agree. Um, and, you know, and that, I mean, I wrote a few days ago on Bugs Nation that, you know, t- should Todd Bowles be on the hot seat? And one of the reasons that I said yes was because of the stubbornness to keep Byron Leftwich in his current role because the offense wasn't working. Now, it's also execution. You know, Byron Leftwich didn't go out there and miss Julio Jones open. You know, Byron Leftwich didn't underthrow Scotty Miller. Byron Leftwich didn't tell Tom Brady to throw the ball right to Demario Davis. Um, so I mean, it's, it's execution as well. But I think the biggest thing is coaching, and it's it's the play calling. Um, you know, when you when you talk about those things and using the players that you have. Uh, in positions for them to succeed, I think that's where you know, a lot of the frustration is with the lack of play action, the lack of first down throws, even though they throw it more on first down than people think. They, um, they, statistically, they're like second to last in the league on first down runs. But that's yeah, also just because they're they're averaging like the lowest amount of runs per game. Yeah, so I guess it yeah. goes hand in hand. Yeah, just and I, I don't know about the run game, but like their run – their run game always hasn't always been great. Like even when Bruce Arians, like this, the Bruce Arians offense, like, and I know it's not the exact same offense now, but like 2019, the 2021, like the running game wasn't great. Was it as bad? No, but like, you could also say the Bucks had a better offensive line back then. So that helps as well. So um, yeah, I think that um, the play calling is an issue and it's something that's holding this team back. Now in a two minute drill, you likely script out three or four plays that you can go to right away, you know? Um, so, I mean, I, I do think that left, which played a part in that, but you're right. I mean, there's a lot of times when you run no huddle, that a lot of that stuff's on the fly. And a lot of that stuff is the quarterback looking at his sheet there and, and seeing what'll work. So when the bucks are in no huddle, they, it seems to work. And I think, they just they get better when they get into a rhythm. Just run no huddle the whole game. Just do the whole game. Just well, treat Bulls, the whole Bulls, game like a two minute drill. Todd Bowles was was asked about that today, and he did say that they might consider running, you know, a bit more no huddle throughout the game, not just in two minute situations. Um, but he also said that you know you can't do it the whole game, which I agree. Um, but he said your defense and special teams gets tired, which the special teams. I don't care about that, but the defense, sure, because everybody, you know, special teams is on the field the least. They need to suck it up. Obviously, you know, I saw it firsthand here in in Philly, you know, with Chip Kelly, you know, his first year in 2013. Everybody with the no huddle offense, everybody's like, oh my God, this is great. It started to fail because in 2014, they didn't have as much talent and their no huddles would be three and outs and the defense would be back on the field after 37 seconds, you know, so um, it doesn't always work. But when you're able to get into a rhythm like that and be as productive as they've been, uh, I think it's something you need to consider more. So, um, you know, I hate to wrap this up. I want to wrap it up on a more positive note. But oh, uh, I got one more rant to go on. Are you sure you want to save that positive note? It's not going to take too long. It's just one more thing I really wanted to complain about with this coaching staff. And you already know what's coming. All right. Go go ahead. Go ahead. All right. So late in the game. um, Let me also just add some context here. I I don't know if it was coming through on the broadcast, but for 75% of the game, I'd say anytime after the first quarter, the Bucks offense was getting booed off of the field every single possession. 
every time they had to punt, they would get booed off the field. And uh, the loudest boos of the night were in the fourth quarter, where the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, I mean, they're in their own territory, but when you're down two possessions with less than 10 minutes left to go in the game, you're probably going to have to go ahead and go for it, you know, nut up or shut up on, on a fourth and 10. Well, the offense is on the field. The quarterback wants to go for it. So we take a commercial breaks worth of time. I'm, I'm telling you three, four minutes they were standing around on the field. And then here comes the punt unit. And uh, I know that there are some statistical uh, statistical numbers I, I could show you right now. I don't have them offhand, but I saw that it was in the 99th percentile of cowardly punts on the NFL season so far because uh, there is a Twitter page dedicated to tracking stuff like that. And to be honest with you, that that was that was, you know, that was your favorite term. That was coward ball. I, I mean, that what what the hell else was that? I, I felt like that was Todd Bowles officially waving the white flag. And he was telling me once again that he doesn't trust Tom Brady. And listen, it's not like fourth and ten is a high percentage look, especially when you're on your own side of the field. Like if you go for it and you don't get it, New Orleans kicks a field goal and the game is most definitely over. But it just it, it did not feel like the right move at the time. And obviously hindsight's gonna be 2020 because the Bucs came back and won. But it just it, it felt like a cowardly decision. It felt like Todd Bowles made that decision assuming they weren't gonna win the game. Well, I mean, I didn't think they're gonna win the game either, but I still would have gone for it. Um yeah, I, I would have gone there. And that's that's what I think is most frustrating. The Bucs don't look they don't look unprepared to play. Um, week after week, so that's not like I think Todd Bowles has been doing a fine I do, job I, of getting I, I, them. I do think they've been lacking a sense of urgency that they need, but I mean, that's guys have been playing, play, you know. Though. Yeah, it's like that's not to me. Unprepared to play is you're taking undisciplined penalties. You look like you have no idea what's going on on offense and on defense. Um, like, and but my biggest thing has been one clock management, sure, but clock management hasn't been as bad besides last week in Cleveland. Uh, but the aggressiveness has been there sort of all year, and I I think last night, especially with you know Brady staying on the field and then saying you know no, like you know, you're coming off a punt. I would have gone there. And it turns out, obviously, sure, it, it worked out for the best. Um, but, like, is it always going to work out? No, probably 90% of the time that's not going to work out. So, um, you know, because if the Saints were a better offense, they make you pay. You know, if you're playing a better team, they make you pay probably. So uh, I do think that that's something that needs to get better. But with that being said, though, I wanted to wrap up. Um, it's a win. Right. I mean, we are talking about a win. Uh, you wouldn't think it. We, <laughs> they, we've seen done. we've seen ugly wins before, but like this was probably the ugliest one I've seen in a long time. Um, you wouldn't think it based on, you know, like how we've been talking, but they have one and they swept the Saints. So, I mean, that's got to be pretty sweet for that team um, after not beating the Saints in 2019, 2020, 2021 to sweep them this year. Uh, that's got to be that's going to be pretty sweet. So you don't just have to hang your hat on the uh, divisional round uh, in 2020 anymore. Now you can you know talk about sweeping the Saints in, in 2022 as well. How fitting is it? 
that the year New Orleans gets swept. Yeah. Well, you no, know, the, the, the Bucks the year, are just the hot the Bucks, garbage. The year the Bucks, I, I was talking to James uh, last night. Um, the year the Bucks sweep the Saints and beat the Rams, they can't beat anybody else. Exactly. It, it yeah. just so happens. Like the year they beat those two teams is the year they can't beat anyone else. So uh, just like imagine the vibes right now if they had just beaten two out of two of the three of the Panthers, Steelers, and Browns. Not not all three, but I mean, still sitting. They just that that that'd be eight and four. Like mm-hmm. you'd be sitting at eight and four right now if you just won win two of those three games. Uh, it's a completely different feel right now. But uh, nonetheless, they were to get the win. They're six and six. They're in the lead in the NFC South, yeah, almost you know, and basically ended the New Orleans season. I mean, New Orleans has a really uphill battle now to even try and win the NFC South. So that's always sweet as well. And uh, the funniest part is is. You know all it took, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. yeah. So here's a spoiler: <laughs> it, the books are losing out. That's my prediction. They're, they're, they're not winning another game. It's over. It's uh, uh in the season prediction show. I I, I said the Saints were going to sweep them. We both picked them. I well, you picked I think the Bucks week two. Well, you I ended, you ended up picking the Bucks against the Bucks this time, and I still maintained it. So, um, yeah. That's the thing is that on on the weekly episodes that we do, I don't remember if I picked them. I think the weekly episode week two, I picked them to lose. Um, But I'm pretty sure for the first time in podcast history, well, Cannifier podcast history, we've only been around for. uh, No, no, no. Podcast history. Yeah. First time in podcast (laughs) history. um, We both picked the Bucks to lose in New Orleans, and that's all it took. So, I mean, I don't think that's happened before. I know that in the season predictions, we usually pick them to lose, but. Uh, on a week by week basis this is the first time that we both pick the Bucks to lose. And I never picked the Bucks to lose on this podcast. Ever. James was the only one to pick them to win on Thursday and uh or I'm sorry, and, on James, Sunday. James was, James was also wrong though, because he said they weren't gonna score a touchdown, but they were gonna win. Yeah, nothing but field goals. Oh well. It is what it is. Which they finally scored a touchdown. Two touchdowns, obviously, for the first time in the Brady era against the Saints in Tampa. So Whew. historic. But it is a great feeling. Nonetheless, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are 6-6. Six and six, First place in the NFC South for another week in a row. And they have finally conquered the New Orleans Saints. I'm never going to get tired of saying that. But uh, with all of that being said, ladies and gentlemen, that's just about going to do it for this week's episode of the Cannon Fire Podcast. Thank you so much to everyone hanging out with us here in the live stream. Our buddy TB12, Goatman, uh, Amdam S, Nestor Cervantes, The Truth, Russ Weeks, Tony Baloney, and uh, anybody else that I had mentioned before, we truly appreciate you. Subscribe to the channel if you haven't for more great Tampa Bay Buccaneers content. We will be dropping another podcast this week. I'm not sure what day it's going to be, but be on the lookout for that. We will be joined by former Tampa Bay Buccaneers quarterback, Sean King. Of course, we'll get his thoughts on uh, Monday Night Football wrapping up week 13. We'll also get his thoughts on the upcoming game against Brock Purdy. And the San Francisco 49ers should be a good one. We'll also talk to you later on this week with the game preview edition of the Cannon Fire podcast. Follow us on social media, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. All of those are Cannon Fire podcast. Best place to go for updates on the show. And of course, Tampa Bay Buccaneer news as it happens. Speaking of Bucks news as it happens, you can follow my co-host Evan on Instagram at Bucks underscore daily. You can also find him on Twitter at Evan NFL. And of course, check out his written work at BucksNation.com. I know you got the weekly staff picks that may or may not be coming out here soon. You have anything else you're working on this week? 
No, just the the stock the stock report, I guess you could say, yeah, where I look at, you know, just a few players who've been playing well recent weeks, a few players who haven't been playing well. So should have two things out soon at some point this week. Hell yeah, it should be a good one. Last but not least, ladies and gentlemen, you can find myself on social media, Instagram and Twitter at Redicus, R-H-E-T-T-A-K-U-S. If you follow me, I will follow you back. But that's the show. We'll talk to you later on this week with former Bucks quarterback Sean King. I am your host, Rhett Matthew, signing off for my co-host, Evan Wanish. We'll talk to you in the next one. Until then, and as always, thanks for listening, and go Bucks. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.